I want to start this morning with a, just a, a, a preface and preliminary notes that says that we're moving into Easter season. And so we're going to suspend a little bit of Philippians uh, and for, while we get through the, uh, and, and enjoy the Easter season. But I wanted to touch base uh, a little bit today in Philippians 3, 1, and so we'll get into that in a minute. But I wanted to go back as I was thinking about this. You know, it's fun in one sense to be uh, working on a sermon, and yet there's so many things you can, can go wrong or go into it, and so it's hard to get all these things wrapped up into things. But uh, So I've had a good time meditating with the Lord, and, and knowing that God is uh, leading me to, to share some things, I, I'm, a, I'm just excited to be your pastor. I'm excited to be here to share some things about Scripture. But I wanted to take you back to a place in time. I don't know if you go back this far or, or farther. Can you remember your first car? Uh, my first car was like a 1964 Dodge Dart. And it was a, a, an old car, it was a clunker, but it worked and it got me to school. I had to drive a mile to school without a radio. Back then it was something. but. But I remember uh, taking, uh, taking kids home who lived far from school because I, I, I had a car and I was one of the blessed ones. And so I remember taking this one guy, uh, Rex, home. And uh, Rex lived on the other side of the tracks. He didn't, uh, wasn't one of these guys who was your leader and uh, uh, on the sports team. But he was kind of on the sidelines. And, and I was a uh, senior and I remember thinking, uh, of course, it was just something, a, a conversation that wouldn't um, normally be remembered. But it was remember this conversation I remember because I yelled at Rex. I said, Rex, would you like a ride home? And he was so grateful to get a ride home because he had to walk a good ways. But I was also taking another guy home who had, got, who had just received an acceptance to Annapolis. And he was a uh, very smart man, friend. And he turned to me, he says, you don't care who you associate with, do you? And I remember that conversation, as you remember certain conversations, and I thought, there's been a sense of a difference in how people relate to people based on, on uh, class or education or money. And I was sensitive to that growing up because with a family of seven, we didn't have a lot of nice things because we had to have a family of seven. But my neighbors did, and uh, they always had something better. So I was always aware of this difference in this economic status. There's another experience I recall. Uh, in, uh, after I became a Christian in 1972, God prepared me very clearly as I look back to go to Mexico. My minor was in college was Spanish, and I majored in psychology, and I got a job with that. Unbelievable. Another story. But I went to this place in Monterey, Mexico. I want to tell you about this, this story, because if you go to La Mexicana, the restaurant here in, in Chester, and I can't believe it, and you'll go in, and by the cashier, you'll see this little brass statue of this mountain. And that mountain is what you see in the foreground here. But I was there at the Tecnologico, the uh, Instituto Tecnologico de Estudios Superiores de Monterrey. 
we worked with engineers and we worked in a, uh, uh, architects and it was a college, but it was a very small campus at that point. And it has grown tremendously to this unbelievably, uh, like the MIT of Mexico, northern Mexico. But that mountain in the background is called Cerro de la Silla. And I walked in the Mex La Mexicana, I said, I know that mountain, because I lived just on the other side of that street by the Catholic Church. And we were there doing ministry to uh, the college students with a group called the Navigators, and trying to reach uh, the students, but there was a definite judgment against Christians, and the tension between Catholics and Christians was something I didn't know about because I hadn't been around Catholics. I used to think that there were normal people and religious people, and everybody was religious, and I was the normal. And, uh, but I had to learn this international difference between denominations and Catholicism and Protestantism, and I, I really didn't know a whole lot about it back then. But there was a difference, and we would go across that uh, street from the, that, uh, that library that had the mural up there, and right across the street, it was just a, a not a well-developed area at that point, there, but there was a mom-and-pop shop called Lulu Bells, Lulu Bellies. And it was in 1979 that I went there, and I remember this so well because right before I left, Pizza Hut had introduced deep dish pizza. And I thought, oh man, deep dish pizza. And I fell in love with deep dish pizza, and I, I was just so glad to have some of that before I left. And then I went down to Monterrey, and uh, there, across the street, Lulu Bells was a pizza place. And so when I got there the first couple of weeks, they said, let's go over to Lulubillis and get some beer and pizza. I said, sure, we'll go do that. And we got into this dive, and it was, a, it was a student hangout, and they ordered pizza, and they were excited about this pizza, and it was just a very thin cracker crust pizza with cheese on top of it, Period. And they would take the Tabasco sauce or the chili powder and they put it on it. I mean, this was great pizza. This was great pizza. And I, and I thought, yeah, this is good. This is great. But you should see in America the deep. And as soon as I began to see, thought, I was making a judgment that our pizzas are better. The way we do it in America is better. And God stopped me right then and there. And he said, Jerry, you need to know you need to accept things as they are, without comparison. You don't care who you associate with. Deep dish pizza is better. This idea that there's something better, there's something different, there's something that gives us an entitlement to look down upon other people is part of the thing I want to talk about a little bit today because we are in a climate of really comparing, competing, judgment. You know the story about the attack on these Asian women in Georgia. The shootings appear to be uh, the, at the intersection of gender-based violence, misogyny, and xenophobia. 
said by the Vietnamese congresswoman of Georgia being again. The idea that there is a judgment about differences has been, you can't get away from it. From Harry and Meghan, the Queen said, the issues raised, particularly, particularly that of race, are concerning. It's everywhere, and you cannot get away from that. <clears throat> and so as I'm particularly sensitive to this, because you hear these messages, you know, no justice, no peace. Stop the hate, stop the crime, but love each other. The third story I want to tell you about that has to do with this difference is my son Matthew. I know a little bit about prejudice, I know a little bit about racism because when we were in Aizu Wakamatsu, there were only 15 people in the northern part of Japan when we went there in 1994. Only 15 internationals, and when they would walk down the street, oh, there goes one, there goes one. And when I saw an international, I go, there goes one. Oh, I want to talk to them. Because we were on the outside. We were not the mainstream. And so Matthew was a little baby. We adopted him there. And people who know about adoption know about these things, especially if you have a biracial child. <clears throat> Sandy and I went into a barbecue for some professors, and uh, we went with some Russian professors, and we walked in, and we were standing here looking at the barbecue, trying to figure out where we were going, and Matthew was in a little carriage right next to us. I turned around... <clears throat> And Matthew was gone, just gone. I thought, where did, Sandy, and Sandy, Sandy didn't have, he was gone. Well, little did I know that over in the corner, some Japanese person came up and took our carriage with Matthew inside, wheeled it away from us because they said, uh, this baby is a Japanese baby, and you guys, he shouldn't be near you. You guys don't. And we were just shocked that they had taken our child and uh, disappeared. When we went up to the couple, went to get Matthew, there's the carriage. It said, Sumimasen, Tachiwano, Akachan, Otosan. I'm the father, and Sandy's the mother, and and they were very apologetic, but the fact that we were seen as we couldn't be the parents of a Japanese child. We were the first ones in Aizu Wakamatsu, in Fukushima, where they just had this earthquake. We were the first one to do the adoptions in that region. So I'm sensitive to differences and understanding what's going on and yet, I live in an homogenous culture here in Chesterland. I don't have many interactions with internationals, but that's where God's got us right here, which is fine. But I want you to know this, that racism is pandemic as well. If we want to have a vaccination <clears throat> for our physical health, <clears throat> we need a vaccination for our spiritual health. Judgment, But the greatest pandemic that we have to deal with regarding differences is the pandemic of sin. Sin. You hear racism, 
you hear prejudice, you hear discrimination, you hear violence, you hear killing, you hear hate crimes, structural inequality, differences, oppression, <clears throat> and ethnic cleansing. But I want you to know, <clears throat> as we move into Easter, we've got a more serious problem. Because the greatest pandemic of sin is going to be dealt with in a coming judgment in a day of salvation where God will deal with that which is wrong. As Hebrews says, just as people are destined to die once and after that face a judgment, so also Christ was offered one time to bear the sins of many and he will appear the second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. And so when you hear this cry, stop the hate, stop the injustice, uh, be careful because we don't understand what's going on from God's perspective, which we need to, but you understand that God's going to take care of justice. Uh, if you really want justice, it's justice for all, and that's going to create a problem. You see, you need not be deceived and to understand that social justice is not biblical justice. And there's not time for us today to get into this, but we need to, because if you're wanting biblical justice, as God wants biblical justice, you're going to question whether or not God is really just. Is God fair? Life is not good at certain terms, and Satan would love to get you into that thinking that says, yeah, God isn't treating you fairly, and you're doing things, you're getting, getting the brunt end of things that you shouldn't be getting. From of old, Abraham, at the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the tension that he felt with when the people were ungodly, said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That sentence is to be answered, we have a holy God who cannot do evil, who will not judge in dis uh, with discrimination. But this runs through the Bible. And from Genesis to go to Habakkuk, how long, Lord, how long must I call for help but you do not listen or cry out in violence and you do not save? God, Habakkuk cries out, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife is ongoing and conflict abounds. Nothing new under the sun. But Habakkuk is given the word for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. You see, justice is going to be meted out on God's timetable. And therefore, while we're busy about our lives, God is busy about the universe, but he's very much aware of the blessings he's giving and the curses 
that he is also allowing people to suffer because they turn away from him. You want justice? None of you will get into heaven. Not one of us. Because none of us is deserving. None of us is righteous enough. Not anyone in the pews or anyone you meet in the street. Our problem is we won't make it into heaven. And we will die in the grave as ungodly people if we were left to our own devices. And so Amos picks this up. Let justice roll down. You want justice? It'll come. But let judgment run down as the waters, the NIV says. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Just as sin will sweep us up, so justice will sweep us up into that sin because we know that what God is after is not just judging or condemnation. There's something more going on. But what God looks at and sees in our heart is different than what we look at and see in our heart. John the Apostle wrote it this way. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love each other. But anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Anyone who is a racist will not get into the kingdom of heaven. Because you see, racism is a violation of love. And that's the judgment that rests upon anyone who has this discriminatory attitude. And we know, you know, that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Serious stuff. Stop the hate. You can't stop that hate. Haven't you learned from history? How many times have people tried to legislate morality or legislate a spirit or legislate change, but it doesn't touch the human heart? And it will never touch the human heart. And therefore, there is a day of woe, a day of judgment. It'll be a dark, dismal, gloomy day to all the impenitent sinners. When God makes a day dark and all the world cannot make it light. And those who are not reformed by the judgments of God will be pursued by them. This is Matthew Henry, who says, If they escape one judgment call, another law stands ready to seize them. A pretense of piety is double iniquity, because you think that you're okay, but you really are in trouble. And so it will be found. So the question is this. Paul begins his study in chapter 3 with a judgment against people who are false. There is a judgment against that which is blocking life, blocking the gospel, blocking, t- blocking this blessing. And so he says in Philippians 3, verse 2, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we who are the true circumcision worship in the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. And he goes on to talk about his ability to, to, to have confidence if he were to put confidence. But let me say again what Paul said in Galatians in chapter 1. Again, to be aware, um, 
for, for he says in verse Galatians 1, 6, uh, if we preach a different gospel or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Why? Because sin will block the very blessings of God. And if you have a gospel that blocks the very freedom and the peace and the joy, God gets angry because you have destroyed the very good news and making it bad news and keeping people locked into their sin and hatred. It's very obvious that the idea that God hates sin and God responds to this. Look at Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. And if you love well, you will hate well. But you have to hate that which blocks the love. And anything that's evil that's going to keep you as a human being less than what you're supposed to be as a man, less than what you're supposed to be as a woman. God hates that which is attacking you. So listen to these things. There's six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are abomination to him. I never did get that. There's six things, or six, and oh yeah, there's seven. King James always does that. So, but there are six things the Lord hates. If you love well, you will hate well. And these are the things that God hates because it destroys people. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run, running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Whether it's racism, the Jews will not replace us. Whether it's a transgender, gay, lesbian, or whether it's some illegal person coming across the border, yes, there are things that are wrong, but no man, no woman needs to be murdered or killed or violently tortured. God hates those things. No matter what the sin is, God's going to do what he does. That's not your job or my job. And so he came to the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know what he said. You have heard it was said by the culture you live in, by the ancients of old, the way you were trained, the way you grew up, the way you thought about things. You've heard it was said to the ancients, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, that's okay. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, I'm a righteous Pharisee. I go to church. I, I don't do those things, that, those behaviors. Whew, I don't, I'm free of that. And Jesus says, your spirituality, your belief system is so low that it fails to meet the standard of heaven. And unless you're at that standard, you're under judgment. So he said, I tell you that anyone who is angry. Now, just a minute, Jesus. I'm going to get angry at you saying I got. If your anger sets you apart to be higher than God, God has a right to be angry. But you put yourself above God's judgment says, I'm going to do it this way. If you're going to be angry with his brother, you will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, just a word. I didn't say that word. I'm, I'm good. No, no, no. It's about this attitude of your heart. If you say, oh, that's just a little thin pizza. 
Or you say, oh, you don't care who you associate with. Whatever your words are, it's reflecting of what's going on in the heart. Anyone says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. Sometimes we think, you've heard of this, that in the Old Testament, God is an angry, vengeful God. But in the New Testament, he's a, not that bad of a guy. Because Jesus loves you and it's going to... You know, there's more talk about hell in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. And to make sure you understand that Jesus is not just a nice guy. He's out with the wrath of God as well because he hates those things that are destroying his people. Remember that passage in Matthew 18, 6? If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better... Look at that picture. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. This is not the way you win friends and influence people. Jesus was going to say, I will destroy those who destroy my people. Make no mistake, God hates sin. He hates it when I do it. He hates it when you do it. He hates it as when Christians do it. He hates well because he loves well. If anyone hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and he walks around in darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And God hates it when we're blinded. And he wants us to take us out of those things. And therefore, if you've seen these signs, and there's lots of flags out here, folks, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the Rainbow Club or the Confederate South or the, the human equality or the Nazi flag, you have reason in one sense to see we live in a world of hatred, of violence. People don't care about each other. And therefore, there's going to be a demand of my rights. You respect me. And we don't respect those who we don't like people who are different than us. And God says, I hate that because you are not supposed to be that way. And therefore, when you think about how Jesus responds to the pandemic of sin and racism, Jesus weeps. He said to the Pharisees, who wanted that man with the withered hand, he wanted to heal them, but he, he says, your sins are forgiven. And he looked around at the Pharisees, and it says in Mark 3, 5, and he was angry at those Pharisees. It says, you can't do this on the Sabbath. But his anger turned to grief. And his anger turned to grief because he had compassion for the man with the withered hand, and he had compassion for the hard-hearted Pharisees. Jesus responds to those things as, as we need to as well. How are we to respond to this pandemic of sin and racism? What, what's your response? What, what are we supposed to do? Just watch the news and kind of, well, it's not right here. And you may be touched, you may not be touched. I don't know your experience. But have your child taken away and, and to lose someone even for a moment, for Matthew, and just you begin to realize people are thinking about me in a way that I'm not aware of how people are thinking about me. And that's true for them as well. We're not thinking about other people, and therefore we're all always concerned about 
our own world. How are we to respond? Well, Proverbs would go on to say, choose my instruction. To be under the Lord, to listen to Christ, is to have a master teacher. He will instruct you. He will give you knowledge. He will give you power and wisdom and grace. All the riches that are ours in Christ. Because what Paul is trying to do in the Philippians is to say, the kingdom of God in the church is a brand new community. Male, female, slave, free man, Jew, Gentile, doesn't make a difference. In the kingdom of God, the difference isn't in how we relate to each other. The unity is all how we are brought into the throne of grace by his mercy. The fact that we are not condemned, that anyone is not condemned, or all of us are brought into the kingdom of God, is just by his grace. And we all get that grace. All of us. In that sense, we are all equals before him. Because equally, we all deserve judgment. And equally, those in Christ all get mercy. Hallelujah. And so Jesus would talk about this often. You will know this truth of who I am and what I do and why I've come to do what I do to set you free so that you're not caught up with this condemnation. You're not caught up with your racism. You're not caught up with yourself. But know this, Christian, that there are things that he wants you to teach. This is the instruction. If you don't hate evil, evil will love you. And therefore... There's a call to whatever is blocking your love. You ought to hate it and deal with it. Two, know this, that the flesh can't change the flesh. The flesh will never be non-hateful because it's so insecure trying to manipulate the world apart from God because we've been separated from God. We're going to manage this tension on our own foolishness in a way, we were going to demand hatred or demand justice. Really? You want justice? You really want justice? You don't want justice. You want injustice to go away. But the damage that's done, the people that suffer, cannot change apart from the gospel of Christ. You can legislate morality. What did Lincoln t- teach us? Yeah, you're free, slaves but they're not free because it doesn't take care of the sin. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. There's a requirement on us as Christians to say, I need to be honest with my heart. If I don't like people, if I have, if I have attitude problems, I need to go to Christ with that. And Christ knows that. He knows how you grew up. He knows where you came from. He knows the damage. He knows the wounded heart. And to have a bold love to go into the grace of God says, I, 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 and you become silent. But if you claimed, if you claim to have fellowship, that's truth three. Uh, uh, this is, I missed a number. This is truth four. We'll call it five. But the wrath of God The wrath of God, make sure you understand, is revealed from heaven against any ungodliness, unrighteousness, 
not godly, not right. Something's wrong. Something's missing. And God says, I'm going to have to judge that. And I'm going to judge it by those who suppress the truth. There's a lot of suppression going on in our society because they don't have the grace of the Holy Spirit to free them up. How do you deal with this racism, prejudice, all the, all the isms that are out there, discrimination, the violence? Well, you realize that it's only through the Holy Spirit that you have the power to repent, the grace to be received as a forgiven sinner. We are a forgiving we are a forgiven people, and therefore we can be a forgiving people. But to know that, you have to be transformed. And that's why Jesus came. He came to remove, my numbers are out of order, but the, Jesus came to remove that condemnation spirit in all of us that start to say, you don't care who you associate with, do you? God wouldn't associate with somebody like that, but he would associate with sinners. In that mountain in Monterey, it's called Cerro de la Silla. It's called a saddleback in English. It looks like a little saddleback. That saddleback, uh, I would climb up with students, and I love to get on these mountains because once you get up on a mountaintop, you see, you can see the panorama. And that panorama looking down at all the people in that valley right there in northern Mexico is, is a wonderful hike. There's another mountain that Isaiah talked about. In Isaiah 2, Isaiah prophesied, here comes Assyria, and my people of God, you've left me, but you've got to understand that God's work is going to bring his people back to the mountain. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, that he may instruct us and teach us his ways. And he will do that. The Holy Spirit wants to do that. The Bible will give us that wisdom, that panorama, that grace that we need. But as we go into Easter week, we need to understand that there's another mountain, Mount Calvary. And that Calvary, that place, is the place where the heart is set free. And that binding, that blindness, that, that the hatred... You can't come to that cross because the cross is at street level and there's no climb. It's just we all go to the cross. And that's what Easter is going to do. If it, if it would take that in order for the Spirit of God to be given to you, then you have to move into Easter week thinking, did Jesus really have to die? I mean, what? I mean, we're celebrating this the service of Easter, but there's so much going on. But make no mistake, the wrath of God was poured out, is being poured out, and God still hates all of those things that destroy us. But at Calvary, as we move into Easter week, we're going to look at this question, why did Jesus die? And to understand that, that tension between the wrath and the condemnation is gone. And it will be gone in the heart of the racist, the prejudice, the discrimination. It's gone if you follow Christ. That's the only way I think we're going to stop hate and start love 
if, if the gospel gets inside each of us. Well, I want to set that up for us because the wrath of God is still under those who don't believe him. It's, it's over those who don't believe him. But for you as a Christian, understand there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This raises lots of questions for us. As we get into, as we get into the Philippian study, we'll see again that Paul says, I want to, I want to go against those. I, I'm going to judge those who are blocking the love, but I want to set them free so that they can love with the grace of Christ. That's for you and that's for me. As we go into Easter week, again, Paul would say, as he starts this, rejoice in the Lord always. And so your focus isn't on what you hate, it's on who you love. And that's where our focus needs to be.